Today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Christian world is sometimes split between, between those who take the Scripture seriously, that would be us, and those who listen to the Spirit. Some of us really dig into the Bible to discover what it means and others are always trying to discern what the Spirit says. We need both. We wanna be led by the Spirit and taught by the Word. Welcome to Summit Life featuring pastor, author, and theologian, J.D. Greer. I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. Okay, I bet you've never heard us say this before, but are you ready to get a little rowdy today? (laughs) Pastor J.D. is going to walk us through what some might call the rowdy chapter of 1 Corinthians, the one about spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy. He says that we should be open to and desirous of these spectacular gifts, but we need to be careful to pursue them in the way that the Bible instructs us to. To learn more about Pastor J.D. and to see the wide variety of resources available to you, stop by jdgreer.com. But right now, let's get started with today's message, aptly titled, The Rowdy Chapter. All right, if you got your Bibles this weekend, and I hope that you brought them, opened them to, drumroll, 1 Corinthians 14. And here we go. We are nearly at the end of this great letter of Paul to the Corinthians, but Like every car trip I've ever taken with my four children, somehow the last few miles end up being the most adventurous, annoying, I don't know what you call it, all right? 1 Corinthians 14 is, as one of our women's Bible study teachers, Toya Dunbar says, um, it's the rowdy chapter in the New Testament. It is all about the gifts of tongues and prophecy. So let me start by giving you a little perspective on the theological landscape when it comes to this discussion, okay? There are generally four positions when it comes to these more spectacular gifts. And let me just say, all of them have valid biblical insights. There is stuff we can learn from each of these four approaches. Different ones of you, I know, come from different ones of these traditions. We're kind of a mixed bag in here. First, there's what we call the cessationist position. That's a fancy word that just means ceased, cessationist. And this position holds that gifts like prophecy, tongues, and healing have ceased. Most spiritual gifts, this position believes, are still in operation, but tongues and prophecy and miracles, they were special sign gifts. And they were relevant only to a particular era of church history, uh, mainly when the apostles were writing the Bible and they've now ceased in our day. Now, full disclosure, I grew up on this one. And for the record, I do believe that many of these gifts were more relevant in certain eras of Christian history than others, but I cannot find anything in the Bible that would justify the blanket claim that they have ceased. In fact, Paul ends this chapter telling the Corinthians not to forbid the practice of these gifts. And I believe that we should honor that. At the end of 1 Corinthians 13, if you remember when we studied that last week, Paul indicates that these kinds of gifts will continue, at least in part, until we see Jesus face to face. And of course, that hadn't happened yet. All right, so the cessationist position. On the other end of the spectrum, we have the old school Pentecostal position, which believes that these gifts are in full operation and every Christian should experience them. And if you have not experienced them, well, you should question to see if there's something wrong with you spiritually. Position number three is a variation of that that we call the the more nuanced charismatic position, which is that these gifts are in existence and they are part of the normal ministry experience of the church, though not every believer will experience all of them and maybe not even any of them. 
Um, Then there is a fourth position that usually goes under the name open but cautious. This position believes that the gifts have not ceased, but that most of the ways the gifts are being used today in so-called spirit-filled churches is neither biblical nor helpful that there's a lot of manipulation and psychological tricks that are involved in some of these places when it comes to these gifts. Now, again, I think this position raises a lot of valid concerns and I used to put myself into this one, but I've grown uncomfortable with simply having an attitude of openness toward these spiritual gifts since Paul's gonna tell us in 1 Corinthians 14 that we should be hungry for them. Then look at how he opens chapter 14, pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. In other words, hunger for them, yearn for them. Don't just be open for it to them. Yearn to have these experiences with the Holy Spirit. Three times in this chapter, Paul's gonna tell the Corinthians to desire these spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. I want us to be the kind of church where people frequently say, after coming to one of our services or going to one of our small groups, that they leave there saying, I, just, I didn't just hear a word explained today. I experienced the presence of God. Isn't that what you want? So that leads me to a fifth position, which I will call the Summit Church position. You're not gonna find this one in most theology books, yet it goes by the name. You, know, you won't find it in most theology books yet. Here's the name, Charismatics with a Seatbelt. It's basically a combo of positions three and four. On the one hand, we recognize the validity of spiritual gifts. We even hunger for them. But on the other, we have on a seatbelt, so to speak. You don't typically see us running around the church or swinging from the light chandeliers. And we recognize that a lot of things that go into the name spirit in certain circles aren't necessarily of the spirit. We want to be a spirit-filled church, okay? No caveats, but we don't have any vans with flames printed down the side. And I don't typically smack people on the head at the end of church so they flop down and, and, you know, flop like a perch on the dock, you know, at the end of the service. I'm not saying there's no way the Holy Spirit would ever do that in any circumstance. I'm just really sensitive to us coercing something and then calling that the work of the Spirit. In fact, some of you have heard me tell the story. A few years ago, I was at a missions conference and there was a very, very, very famous uh, charismatic um, leader there. In fact, maybe the most famous in the world at the time. And so there was a special pastors, you know, kind of event. And so I went and man, he gave a, a very inspiring talk about the spirit. And he was like, hey, if you want to experience more of the spirit of God, be filled by him, you want to move in his power, come forward, I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm like, I'm all for more of the spirit. So I came forward and there was about 30 of us across the front of this stage. And he starts, I'm probably about number 18 or so in line out of this 30. And I notice him going down as he's praying for people. Every time he gets done praying, they kind of fall backwards. And I was like, I was just kind of watching this happen because it's like 100% of them, one for one. And I'm like, all right. Now I prayed, I said, Lord, I'm willing, I, I will do whatever you want me to do. You can knock me down, knock my shirt off and tattoo John 3:16 on my chest. I will receive that, but I'm not letting that man push me down. Uh, Cause I noticed every time he was doing it, it was like he was pushing and then they would fall. And I'm like, I just, you know, you're not gonna put, spirit, yes, you know. So he gets to me and he puts his hand on my head and he starts to pray and he prayed. And then I could feel the pressure starting to go on my head. And I was, I was like, that's not the spirit, bro. That's you. Um, you know, so he starts praying louder and pushing harder. And I'm now pushing back and we're like, you know, like this. And eventually he just kind of uh, ends his prayer and then he moves on. Okay. So listen, we don't want anything that is like pretend spirit, but summit, I want us to experience all that the spirit wants to do in the church, not merely to be open to these things, but hungry for them and expected of them. At the same time, 
We're going to avoid, by God's grace, as much as we can, fleshly imitation and pursue these things in the way the Bible tells us to pursue them. You in for this? You in for this? All right. Deep breath. Find your inner place of theological calm. Again, verse one. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Wait, they speak to who? Not to other people, not to themselves. They speak to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Here's a working definition of tongues. It is a form, which tongues, by the way, just means languages. A form of prayer and praise that you express to God in a language you do not understand. That's the simplest definition I can give you. A form of expression or praise to God expressed in a language you don't understand. Let me show you two examples of this from the book of Acts. The first one, probably the most famous one, Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, real quick, this had to be an unbelievable experience. When it says a sound like a rushing wind, in Greek, that does not mean a gentle breeze, even a stiff breeze. It means hurricane force wind. Imagine what that would be like in the room that you're sitting in. Suddenly there's a sound like a tornado, like it's a freight train that's coming. And then these tongues of fire appear in the heads of every church member. That was the image of the spirit coming into the church. This was a picture of the power that you and I still have inside of us. That's awesome. Verse five, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Now watch this, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. That's key. These were other human languages. They may have been unknown to the speaker, but they were known to somebody. Somebody recognized it as praise to God in his native tongue. He's like, hey, you're you're praising God in my native language and you've never even been to my hometown. This is the first sign gift of tongues. Let's jump over to Acts 10 because you're gonna see it again. This time Peter is preaching to Cornelius, who was a Roman lieutenant and his band of Roman soldiers, a bunch of Gentiles. In fact, this is one of the first times that Gentiles are hearing the gospel preached. While Peter was still saying these things, while he was still preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit, without any coercion, without any call, without any coming forward, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the circumcised believers, in other words, the Jews, The Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. In Acts 2, it had been Jews. Now it's being poured out on the Gentiles. Now watch this. For they, who's the they in that sentence? The Jews. The Jews were hearing them, the Gentiles, speaking in tongues, languages they didn't understand, and extolling God. The Gentiles were praising God in a language unknown to them, but they, the Jews, heard it and said, whoa, you're praising God in a language you don't know, but I understand you, this is really from God. By the way, how did the Jews know what these Gentiles were saying? How did they know they were praising God? I think it means they were speaking in Hebrew, a language the Gentiles didn't understand, but the Jews did. 
It's like Acts 2 in reverse. They were praising God in a language unknown to them. The point is that that tongues and acts were not an ecstatic, emotional utterance of nonsensical noises. They were praised to God in an actual, intelligible language. We're gonna see this in a minute, but tongues were a sign that God was bringing other nations into his family. You see, up until this time, God had really only been worshiped in the Hebrew tongue. But God had promised Abraham, Genesis 12, that he was gonna extend his salvation into every tribe and language group on earth. Tongues were a sign that this was happening. You remember the Tower of Babel, everybody spoke one language, and then God kind of, you know, in judgment, created all the different languages and sent them everybody in different directions. Then he calls Genesis 12, next chapter, a man named Abraham, and he says, one day, one day I'm gonna bring all these families back together, all these languages. We're gonna come back together, praising salvation in different tribes and tongues, and I'm gonna use you to do that. Tongues were just a sign that this promise was being fulfilled. Thanks for being with us here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Before we return to our teaching, I wanted to quickly remind you about our featured resource this month. It's called Cutting Through the Noise, 14 five-minute studies in 1 Corinthians. These devotional studies are designed to help you grow in your faith and understanding of God's Word, even in the midst of life's busyness. So whether you're a new believer or you've followed Jesus for many, many years, this resource is perfect for anyone who wants to go deeper in their faith. It's time to embrace the truths found in God's Word and allow them to change us and the world around us. So why wait? Call us at 866-335-5220 or visit jdgreer.com and give your gift today. Now let's return to today's teaching. Once again, here's Pastor J.D. All right, let's keep moving through this text. Verse three, on the other hand, in contrast to tongues, which are a mysterious form of praise to God, the one who prophesies, Paul says, speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. All right, let's talk about prophecy for a minute. As we saw a couple weeks ago, prophecy is speaking God's word into a situation. Speaking God's word into a situation. This takes three primary forms in the Bible. Okay, form number one is just preaching, what I do every week. It's not just me who does it, but anytime you're speaking the words of scripture to people, it's more than just reading the word or explaining it to you. I hope God is giving me spiritual power as I preach to you, spiritual insight into how to specially apply it to you. This book right here, this book is always God's word, of course, but in this moment, it becomes a dynamic living word where God is actively speaking to you. So preaching is your first kind of of prophecy. It can include the second and third types of prophecy, preaching can, which are words of wisdom, which are insights into issues um, or application to your day-to-day lives, showing you what these principles mean in in our context. Sometimes um, preaching and prophecy includes words of knowledge, which are when God reveals something to me about your lives that I wouldn't naturally know. Sometimes I know what's happening. I know God is putting something into me to say to you, I'm sure of it. But more often than not, it happens without me even knowing it. You ever had the, the experience of listening to somebody teach the word and make an application and you feel like, whoa, how did he know what was going on with me? How did, did he read my journals? Did my wife call him? How did he know what to say right there? That is all word of knowledge type of stuff. And again, it's not just me that's supposed to practice prophecy like this. Paul envisions a congregation 
in which this happens in conversations at all levels, small groups, one-on-one conversations. In fact, jump down to verse 24, Paul says, if everybody prophesies in the church, all of us, not just the guy on stage, but if everybody prophesies and an unbeliever or outsider enters, what happens? Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, right? You know, like the woman at the well, you've got five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And so when the secrets of that person's heart are disclosed, they fall on their face and they worship God. And they declare God is really at work among you. Through the words of knowledge, his secrets are revealed. And he knows God is in this place. I've told you, I've had this happen to me in this church, brothers and sisters who spoke God's counsel into the secret places of my heart. I've had friends that it's happened to, it's happened to my wife several times. Now, to be clear, okay, anything in this category, whether words of wisdom or words of knowledge or whatnot, these things never take on the weight of scripture. They are not the word of God the way that this book right here is the word of God. Okay, are we clear on that? This and this alone is the permanent word of God and it alone is infallible. Our perceptions of what the spirit is saying are tentative and very fallible. That's why Paul says that some have the gift of discernment or the interpretation of spirits. God gives to some the gift of discerning whether particular pieces of revelation or counsel are really from God. That's not true when it comes to scripture. Nobody in here has the gift to say that verse is wrong and this verse is right. Paul says something else in 1 Corinthians 14 that shows us that prophetic words are in a different category than scripture. Jump down to verse 36, Paul says, even with all these words of wisdom and knowledge the Corinthians are experiencing, still he says, the word of God did not come from you. In other words, even with all this spirit prompted speech that you are experiencing, the word of God, or scripture didn't come from them. Prophetic speech and scripture are in two entirely different categories. The Bible is infallible and authoritative. Prophetic speech that we give to each other is fallible and has to be received with discernment. Even prophetic speech in the New Testament was fallible. One example, real quick, Acts 21.10 tells us there was a disciple in the early church named Agabus who, who told Paul through the spirit, that Jews would deliver him into the hands of the Roman rulers. Now, here's the deal. Agabus was mostly correct, though not entirely. The Jews tried to kill Paul, not deliver him to the Romans. The theologian Wayne Grudem says, this prediction was not far off, but it had inaccuracies in detail that would not be appropriate for written revelation. This fits the description of New Testament congregational prophecy, which is reporting in one's own words, something God has spontaneously brought to mind. So prophecy is letting the spirit of God speak through us to one another. Paul wants everybody in the church to operate with this gift. And Summit, we need more of it. Christian world is sometimes split between, between those who take the scripture seriously, that would be us, and those who listen to the spirit. Some of us really dig into the Bible to discover what it means and others are always trying to discern what the Spirit says. We need both. Word first, yes, always, but Spirit too. We wanna be led by the Spirit and taught by the Word. So before we move on to tongues, all right, let's pause for a minute and let me give you three biblical words that should characterize our use of prophetic words at the Summit Church. Let me just really play the role of pastor right now because I want you to think practically about how how to, how to use this. Think of this like a grid. 
that you can use in giving or evaluating words of prophecy. The first word is expectation. Let's expect God to do this, right? He said he would. He promised that, that at the coming of the spirit, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Paul told us to desire these things. Don't just be open to them, expect them. I'm not saying that the first thing that pops in your head whenever you pray for somebody is from the Holy Spirit, but you could start there. You could test it and affirm it and assume maybe I thought of that for a reason. Maybe that was from the Spirit of God. If you're walking with the Spirit in small groups, when you go into prayer times, why don't you start by asking, hey, if you're a small group leader, has the Spirit of God put anything on anybody's heart to share? Paul told us to pursue these things. So let's start our gatherings by giving him a chance to speak through his sons and daughters like he promised. And you say, well, wait a minute, pastor, wait a minute. Doesn't Paul say that only certain people have the gift of prophecy? Ah, uh, yes, you're paying attention. Very good question. But it's like the gift of generosity or the gift of the evangelist. Every Christian practices these things. It's just that some are unusually gifted in them. It's not only those with the gift of generosity who give or only those with the gift of the evangelist who share Christ. In the same way, some have an unusual endowment of the gift of prophecy, but we all can experience it, okay? So expectation, second word, humility. If you're writing notes down, write this one in all caps. Never, ever, 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 ever claim the authority of God when you speak. What you are saying is fallible and other people need to discern if it is from God. I never ever say to somebody, this is what God says, unless I've got a chapter and verse to back it up. Instead, I will say something like, listen, I think God has put this on my heart for you. And I think he might be saying this, but you gotta weigh this out. The other problem with putting divine weight behind your words is it puts the other person in a terribly awkward position. You ever been there? If you claim that God has told you something for me and you're sure the other person's either gotta to submit to your words or call you a false prophet. I've had people say to me, pastor, God said this and this to me about you. And I know they're wrong because they're, they're operating on faulty information. I could tell you some stories. Oh my goodness. We had a guy come up after um, uh, um, uh, service. He was wearing a long black trench coat. I'd never seen him before. He asked for a word after the service. And I was like, all right. So he took me to the side and said, the Lord has given me the plans for Summit's next campus. Then he pulled out a black briefcase and out of that, he took out these insanely elaborate drawings of y'all. It was a full on cathedral. It looked like Dracula's castle. And then he said, the Lord has told me this is what Summit's supposed to build next. And he's also told me that I'm supposed to be the one to tell this to the church and explain it to him. So when can I get some weekend stage time? How about next week? You see what I put up with for you people? Do you see that? Don't create that awkwardness for somebody else. I'm like, bro, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to quench the spirit here, but I just not sensing this is from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, I'm a professional Christian. I can handle that kind of awkwardness. Don't do that to each other. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Pastor J.D. Greer here on Summit Life. The message archive, blog, sermon transcripts, and more are all available free of charge. Thanks to people like you who donate to support this ministry. And when you team up with us by giving today, we'll say thanks by sending you our brand new resource this month. The book of 1 Corinthians is so incredibly relevant to the culture that we're in today. With so much conflict, temptation, and division in our world, it can be hard to stay focused on what God says about how we should live our lives. 
That's why we named this teaching series Cutting Through the Noise, and it's why we've created a set of 14 five-minute studies for you to use alongside this teaching series. Our prayer is that these quick, insightful studies will help you to cut through the noise and grow in your walk with the Lord. You can receive your copy when you support this ministry today by calling 866-335-5220. Once again, that's 866-335-5220. Or you can give online at jdgreer.com. While you're there, you can also browse Pastor JD's blog. He covers a ton of topics about real life issues with wisdom straight from God's word. And when you subscribe to our email list, you'll get future blog posts delivered straight to your inbox. Go to jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich, encouraging you to join us again next week as we continue to cut through the noise and hear God's voice more clearly. We'll see you soon right here on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.